Hello, and welcome back, or welcome to Harry Potter Books Read to You. This is going to be a mini-series episode, and after that, I will get back on to the Philosopher's Stone series. Alright, quick disclaimer, this is The Tales of Beetle the Bard by J.K. Rowling. Yes, J.K. Rowling. That means I do not own the story, characters, themes, or ideas used in this story. I would encourage you to go check out this book and purchase it. But other than that, I don't own the art used. And with that out of the way, let's get on to it. This is the fourth story in the book, Babbity Rabbity and Her Cackling Stump. A long time ago, in a far-off land, there lived a foolish king who decided that he alone should have the power of magic. He therefore commanded the oh my sorry, the head of his army to form a brigade of witch hunters and issued them with a pack of ferocious black hounds. At the same time, the king caused proclamations to read to be read in every single village around town across the land, wanted by the king, an instructor in magic. No true witch or wizard dared to volunteer for the post, for they were all in hiding from the brigade of witch hunters. However, a cunning charlatan, with no magical power, saw a chance of enriching himself, and arrived at the palace, claiming to be a wizard of enormous skill. The charlatan performed a few simple tricks, which convinced the foolish king of his magical powers, and was immediately appointed grand sorcerer-in-chief, the king's private magic master. The charlatan bade the king give him a large sack of gold so that he might purchase wands and other magical necessities. He also requested several large rubies to be used in the casting of curative charms, a silver chalice or two, for the storing and maturing of potions. All of these the foolish king supplied. The charlatan stowed the treasure safely in his own house and returned to the, returned to the palace grounds. He did not know that he was being watched by an old woman who lived in the hovel on the edge of the grounds. Her name was Babbity, and she was the washerwoman who kept the palace linen soft, fragrant, and white. Peeping from behind her drying sheets, Babbity saw the charlatan snap two twigs from one of the king's trees and disappear into the palace. The charlatan gave one of the twigs to the king and assured him that it was a wand of tremendous power. It will only work, however, said the charlatan, when you are worthy of it. Every morning, the charlatan and the foolish king walked out onto the palace grounds, where they waved their wands and shouted nonsense at the sky. The charlatan was careful to perform more tricks so that the king remained convinced of his grand sorcerer's skill and of the much power the wands of the wands that had cost him so much gold. The one more one morning, sorry, as the charlatan and the charlatan and the foolish king were twirling their twigs and hopping in circles, chanting meaningless rhymes, a loud cackling reached the king's ears. Babbity the washerwoman was watching the king and the charlatan from the window of her tiny cottage and was laughing so hard she soon sank out of sight, too weak to stand. I must be I must look so undignified to make the old washerwoman laugh so, said the king. He ceased his hopping and twig twirling and frowned. I grow weary of practice. 
when shall I be ready to perform spells in front of my subjects, sorcerer? The charlatan tried to soothe his pupil, assuring him that he would soon be capable of astonishing feats of magic, but Babidi's cackling had stung the foolish king more than the charlatan knew. Tomorrow, said the king, we shall invite our court to watch their king perform magic. The charlatan saw that the time had come to take his treasure and flee. Alas, your majesty, it is impossible. I had forgotten to tell your majesty that I must set out on a long journey tomorrow. If you leave my this palace without my permission, sorcerer, my brigade of witch hunters will hunt you down with their hounds. Tomorrow morning, you will assist me to perform magic for the benefits of my lords and ladies, and if anyone laughs at me, I shall have you beheaded. The king stormed back to the palace, leaving the charlatan alone and afraid. Not all his cunning could save him now, for he could not run away, nor could he help the king with magic that neither of them knew. Seeking a vent for his fear and anger, the charlatan approached the window of Babidi the washerwoman. Peering inside, she saw the li- I mean, he saw the little old lady sitting at her table, polishing a wand. In the corner behind her, the king's sheets were washing themselves in a wooden tub. The charlatan understood at once that Babidi, I mean, sorry, that Babidi was a true witch, and that she, who had given him this awful problem, could also solve it. Crone, rolled the charlatan, your cackling has cost me dear. If you fail to help me, I shall denounce you as a witch, and it will be you who is torn apart by the king's hounds. Old Babidi smiled at the charlatan and assured him that she would do everything in her power to help. The charlatan instructed her to conceal herself inside a bush while the king gave his magical display and to and asked and oh my god and to perform the king's spells for him without his knowledge. Babidi agreed to this plan, but asked one question. What, sir, if the king attempts a spell that Babidi cannot perform? The charlatan scoffed. Your magic is more than equal to the fool's imagination, he assured her, and then retired to the castle well pleased with his own cleverness. The following morning, all the lords and ladies of the kingdom assembled in the palace grounds. The king climbed onto the stage in front of them, with the charlatan by his side. I shall firstly make this lady's hat disappear, cried the king, pointing his twig at the noblewoman. From inside a bush nearby, Babidi pointed her wand at the hat and caused it to vanish. Great was the astonishment and admiration of the crowd, and loud their applause for the jubilant king. Next, I shall make this horse fly, cried cried the king, pointing his twig at his own steed. From inside the bush, Babidi pointed her wand at the horse, and it rose high into the air. The crowd was still more thrilled and amazed. And there's an image of the floating horse. And they roared their appreciation of their magical king. And now, said the king, looking all around for an idea. And the captain of his brigade of witch hunters ran forward. Your majesty, said the captain. This very morning, Sabra died of eating a poisonous toadstool. Bring him back to life, your majesty, with your wand. And the captain heaved onto the stage a lifeless body of the largest of the witch-hunting hounds. The foolish king brandished his twig and pointed it at the dead dog, but inside the bush, Babidi smiled and did not trouble to lift her wand, for no magic can raise the dead.
When the dog did not stir, the crowd began first to whisper, then to laugh. They had suspected that the king's first two feats had been mere tricks after all. Why doesn't it work? The king screamed at the charlatan, who only bethought himself of the ruse left to him. Who bethought himself of the only ruse left to him. There, your majesty, there, he shouted, pointing at the bush where Babidi sat concealed. I see her plain, a wicked witch who is blocking your magic with her own evil spells. Seize her, somebody seize her. Babidi fled from the bush, and the brigade of witch hunters set off in pursuit, unleashing their hounds, who bayed for Babidi's blood. But as she reached a low hedge, the little witch vanished from sight. And when the king, the charlatan, and all the courtiers gained the other side, they found a pack sorry, they found the pack of witch hunting hounds barking and scrabbling around a bent aged tree. She has turned herself into a tree, screamed the charlatan, and dreading lest Babidi turn her back into a woman and denounce him, he added, cut her down, your majesty, this and that is the way to treat evil witches. An axe was brought at once, and the old tree was felled to loud cheers from the couriers and the charlatan. However, as they were making ready to return to the palace, the sound of a loud cackling stopped them in their tracks. Fools! Fools, cried Babidi's voice from the stump that they had left behind. No witch or wizard can be killed just by being cut in half. Take the axe if you do not believe me and cut the grand sorcerer in two. The captain of the brigade of witch hunters was eager to make this experiment, but as he raised the axe to the charlatan, the charlatan fell to his knees, screaming for mercy and confessing all of his wickedness. As he was dragged away to the dungeons, the tree stump cackled more loudly than ever. By cutting a witch in half, you've unleashed a dreadful curse upon your kingdom, it told the petrified king. Henceforth, every stroke of harm that you inflict upon my fellow witches and wizards will feel like an axe stroke in your own side until you wish you could die of it. At that, the king fell to his knees too and told the stump that he would issue a proclamation at once, protecting all the witches and wizards of of the kingdom, allowing them to practice their magic in peace. Very good, said the stump, but you have not yet made amends to Babity. Anything, anything at all, cried the foolish king, wringing wringing his hands before the stump. You will erect a statue of Babidi upon me in memory of your poor washerwoman and to remind you forever of your own foolishness, said the stump. The king agreed to it at once and promised to engage the foremost sculptor in the land and have the statue made of pure gold. Then the shamed king and the nobleman and the woman, noblemen and women, returned to the palace, leaving the tree stump cackling behind them. When the grounds were deserted once more, there, wriggled from a hole between the roots of the tree stump, a stout and whiskery old rabbit with a wand clamped between her teeth. Babidi hopped out of the grounds and far away, and ever after a golden statue of a washerwoman stood upon the tree stump, and no witcher wizard was ever persecuted in the kingdom again. Now that is it for the story, but if you want to continue to listen, this will be Albus Dumbledore on Rabbity Babbity oh my god, Babbity Rabbity and her cackling stump.
The story of Babbity Rabbity and her cackling stump is in many ways the most real of Beetle's tales, as in the magic described in the story confirms almost entirely to known magical laws. It was through this story that many of us first discovered that magic could not bring back the dead, and a great disappointment and shock it was, convinced we had been as young children, that our parents would be able to awaken the dead. Our rats and cats with one wave of their wands. Through some centuries have elapsed since the beetle wrote this tale, while we have devised innumerable ways of maintaining the illusion of our loved one's continuing presence. Wizarding photographs and portraits move, and in case of the latter, just like talk to their subjects. Other rare objects, such as the Mirror of Erised, also may reveal more than a static image of a loved lost one, ghost or transparent, moving and talking, thinking of versions of wizards and witches who wished, for whatever reason, to remain on Earth. J.K. Rowling. Um, wizards still have not found a way of reuniting the body and the soul once death has occurred. As admitting wizarding philosopher Bertrand de Pensées Profondes writes his celebrated work, A Study into the Possibly Reversing the Actual and Metaphysical Effects of Natural Death with Particular Regard to the Renegration of the Essence and Matter. Give it up, it's never going to happen. The tale of Babbity Rabbity, however, does give us one of the earliest literary moments of an amagus. An animagus, sorry. For Babbity, the washerwoman, possessed a rare magical ability to transform into an animal at will. Animagi make up a small fraction of the wizarding population, achieving perfect spontaneous human-to-animal transformation requires much study and practice, and many witches have many witches and wizards consider that their time may be better spent employed in other ways. Certainly, the application of such a talent is limited, limited unless one has great need for disguise or concealment. It, it for this reason is that the Ministry of Magic has insisted on upon a register of animagi, for there can be no doubt that this kind of magic is the greatest use of those who engaged in surreptitious covert or even criminal activity. Professor McGonagall, headmistress of Hogwarts, has asked me to clear that before she came an amagus merely as a result of her extended, extensive researches in all fields of transfiguration, and she has never used the ability to turn into a tabby for any supercious purpose, setting aside the le- legitimate business on behalf of the Order of the Phoenix and the secrecy of com- concealment were imperative. J.K. Rowling. Whether there was ever a washerwoman who was ever... T- Oh, sorry, who was able to transform into a rabbit is open to doubt. However, some magical historians have suggested that Beetle modded, modeled Babbity on the famous French sorceress Liste de Lapine, who convinced who was convicted of witchcraft in Paris in 1422. To the astonishment of her muggle guards, who were later tried for helping the witch escape, Lisette vanished from her prison cell the night before she was due to be executed. Although it has never been proven that Lisette was an an animagus who managed to squeeze through the bars of her cell window, a large white rabbit was subsequently seen crossing the English Channel in a cauldron with a sail fitted to it, and a similar rabbit later became a trusted advisor in the court of King Henry VI. 
This may have contributed to the, the Muggles King reputation for mental instability. The King in Beetle's story is a foolish Muggle who both covets and fears magic. He believes that he can become a wizard simply by learning incantations and waving a wand. As intensive as the studies in the Department of Mysteries have demonstrated as far back in 1672, wizards and witches were born, not created. While the rogue ability to perform magic sometimes appears in those apparent of non-magical descent, though several later studies have suggested that there will have been a witch or wizard somewhere in the family tree, muggles cannot perform magic. The best or worst they could hope for is random or uncontrollable effects generated by a genuine magical wand, which is an instrument thought though magic is supposed to be channeled, sometimes holds residual power that may discharge at odd moments, also see the notes on one lore for the Tales and the Three Brothers. Uh, he is completely ignorant of the true nature of magic and wands. Oh, sorry, I had to make sure this was still recording. He is completely ignorant of the true nature of magic and wizards, and therefore swallows the preposterous suggestions of both the charlatan and Babbity. This is certainly typical for a particular type of muggle thinking. In their ignorance, they are prepared to accept all sorts of impossibilities about magic, including the proposition that Babbity has turned herself into a tree, and that can still think and talk. It was worth noting at this point, however, while Beetle uses the tree-talking device to show us how ignorant the Muggle King is, he also asks us to believe that Babbity can talk while she is a rabbit. This might be a poetic license, but I think it is more likely the Beetle had only heard about Animagi and had never met one. For this is only liberty that he takes with the met for this is the only liberty that he takes within magical laws in the story. Animagi do not retain the power of human speech while in their animal form. Although they keep all their human thinking and reasoning powers, this, as every schoolchild knows, is the fundamental difference between being an animagus and transfiguring oneself into an animal. In the case of the latter, one would become the animal entirely, with the consequence that one would never know magic, be aware that one had ever been a wizard, and would need somebody else to transfer figure ones back to one's original form. I think it possible that choosing to make this heroine pretend to turn into a tree and threaten the king with pain like an axe stroke in his own sight, Beetle was inspired by real magical traditions and practices. Trees with wand quality wood have always been fiercely protected by the wand makers who tend to them, and cutting down such trees steals them risk incurrencing not only the malice of bow truckles, for a full description of these curious little tree dwellers, see Fantastic Beasts somewhere to find them, uh, usually nesting there, but also the ill effects of any protective curses placed upon them by their owners. In Beetle's time, the Cruciatus Curse had not yet been made illegal by the Ministry of Magic, and could have produced precisely the sensation which Babbity threatens the king. The Cruciatus, Imperius, and Advracadaver Curses were first classified as unforgivable in 1717, with the strictest penalties attached to their use. That is it for this episode. So, I hope you enjoyed, and, um... With that, I would say go check out Harry Potter Podfix as I will soon be having a collaboration with them on April 1st. 
other than that, um, I hope you enjoyed. Check on the Spotify app, check the description, click any description, and you will get a Q&A and maybe even a poll that I will set up to answer or ask questions in, because I'm trying to collect enough questions for a Q&A episode. All of that, have a great morning, afternoon, evening, or night, and see you later. Bye!